Mark 10. We're going to look at verses 17 through 31 this morning. And the main idea, the main idea of this passage, the main idea of this message, we mentioned last week how Jesus is in the discipleship um, in instruction of his text. He's transitioning here in the book of Mark from repent and believe to go and do. That, it, that, that you've, you've seen, you've, you've witnessed, I've trained, and now we've got to begin to apply and go and do. The, the you do, I help, you do, I watch portions of discipleship that we talked about last week. And so the main idea here is that following Jesus may involve, everybody say may, even though we're not in May yet, we got the reminder of that yesterday. It's okay, it's coming. Following Jesus may involve great personal cost, but it always results, everybody say always, always results in eternal gain. So I want to ask you some questions. Questions that we wrestle with, questions that we think about, no doubt. Who am I? Who am I? And the smart aleck in the room, oh, you're Travis. <laughs> no, who are you? <laughs> Right, But the questions that we ask ourselves, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose in living? And then, and then the, one, the one that we hear, that we talk about um, uh, often and, 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 and think about and wrestle with, even as we come to church on Sunday morning, where will I go when I die? What happens when I die? These are what we sometimes refer to as the ultimate questions of life. Everyone thinks about them. These questions go to the heart of what it means to be a human being, don't they? They address our significance. They address our importance. And essentially, they address our destiny. And think about this. The questions, who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I going to go when I die? They connect. Because how you answer one of those questions will also influence how you answer the others. One day in Mark chapter 10, we see, and we see it recorded in a few of the other Gospels, a fine and respected man in the community came to Jesus. He was interested specifically in his destiny. What must I do, he asks, to inherit eternal life? We're going to read it in just a second. In the process of answering that question, Jesus also gave him insight concerning what or who really matters most in his life. And what you decide now will determine where you go later, won't it? What you decide now will determine where you go later. The questions connect, and so do the answers. The text addresses the important question, who or what should have first place in my life? And so as we read it, just as the, what comes to the top of your mind, who or what has first place in your life? Don't shout it out, but as we're reading this, I want you to think, who or what has first place in your life? Let's read it. Uh, chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. You ready? Five of you. And he was, it's daylight savings, isn't it? I'm telling you. And we feel it, don't we? Whew. And we were talking about this as a setup team this morning. Let's just, let's just go here for just a moment, because I can tell you, you, you need a little bit more priming. We don't really gain any daylight with daylight savings. The time just changes. I mean, those of you that wake up at like 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, you gain daylight. But for those of us that see 5 a.m., 6 a.m., like we're now lo losing daylight. Mark 10, verse 17. Y'all all got me worked up now. And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up to him. We just, we just talked about this. Good respect, reputable. And knelt before him and asked him, good teacher. Everybody underline that, star that, highlight that. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Jesus answering a question with a question, right? Jesus answering a question with a question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Uh, honor your father and mother. Don't complain about daylight savings. And he said to him, <laughs> verse 20, I added the last one. 
teacher. All these words I've kept from my youth. All these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. First of all, real real quick, pause. Everybody look right up here. This is not a message. This is not a passage about it being bad to have stuff. Okay? This is not a passage. This is not a message about it being sinful to have wealth and to, and to, and to have those things. The message is it, in what place do those things rank in your life? Okay? And so, and so don't, you know, at the end of the message today, we're going to talk about some things at the end of the message today, okay, where nobody's asking you to give up your, your car, to give up your house, although if God moves you to do those things, bring the keys right down here, lay them on the altar, we will gladly find a place for those uh, things. But, but a lot of people read this, teach this, that it's bad to have wealth. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it's harder. Because the temptation in wealth is to focus on the things instead of the giver of the things. Okay? All right. Very good. Glad we got that. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, can, can, uh, again, consider, uh, excuse me, children, how difficult it is to enter the, the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel. Anybody ever seen a camel? (laughs) To go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Again, he's not saying impossible. Easier. He's not saying impossible. Easier. Well, and then we could have the fun conversation. We'll just define rich. Okay. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. They were exceedingly astonished. Said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with a man, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and follow you, followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution, persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The account of the rich young ruler here in the first few verses, 17 through 22, that we're going to look at, raises the question. Raises the question. We've already talked about it a little bit, but will someone with great wealth and standing receive the kingdom of heaven like a child? Jesus has just addressed uh, uh, how the the children should come to him. This chapter is jam-packed. I wanted to go about two or three different places in Mark chapter 10, and I honed in on this one, and even this morning was wrestling with changing directions. And so bear with me. this morning. But it raises the question, will someone with great wealth, will someone, will someone with great standing receive the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, like a little child? So the question is, what must I do, or better, whom must I trust to inherit eternal life? And this, and this is a huge question for us. 
especially these days. Like, like it, it's, it's so timely. Again, talking about God being in control is so timely. Because we, 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 see, um, we, we see wars, we hear rumors of wars, we see the things that are happening before our eyes all over the world, and we think, and, and, and when is, various things, right? We, we think various things, but, but some of those things, when is Jesus going to come back and put an end to all this? Right? Or, or, or maybe, maybe even more intensely, where is God in all of this? Like, God, do you see What's happening here? Is this, is this a sign of the end times? Is, is this thing, is this thing that we're seeing commercials about, is this thing that, 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 that we're being encouraged and moved to get, is this thing the mark of the beast? We've heard questions like this over the last few years, over the last decades. Over the last century, right? These are not new questions. But if we believe in God, we ought to, right? I mean, as the Christian, we ought to anticipate heaven. Come on now. We ought to anticipate heaven. And so, in, in some ways, in some ways, the questions are out of anticipation. Is it time? Is it time yet? Are we there yet? And so, and so for some of us, the questions are out of anticipation, like, woo, let's go! I'm ready! For others, they're strictly out of fear. I don't want to lose what I have now. I don't want to lose what I have now. I was thinking of, of, of Matt Chandler recently, a pastor of a small church of about 25 to 40,000 people down in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, and Matt Chandler, Thanksgiving of, of 2005, 2006, collapsed in his kitchen and had a seizure with a brain tumor. And, 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 and weeks later, he comes on video, addresses his congregation with what's about to happen. Moved me deeply. Moved me deeply. And, and as he's addressing his congregation, he addresses the fear that this might be the last time he addresses his congregation. He, and, he, and he's almost comforting them, saying, I've said my goodbyes. I've kissed my children. And he said, my plan would be to come back and preach to you stronger than I'm preaching to you today, stronger than I've ever preached to you. My plan is to walk my daughter down the aisle, got all up in the fields. But he says, that may not be God's plan. And he said, in whatever way this pans out, rejoice for me. Rejoice for me. I was inspired. I told that illustration the first ever message I preached in Maine back in 2000-something. Because he had dealt with the human fear that comes with not facing tomorrow. And so some people look at eternity, some people ask these questions, and I'm not trying to be weird this morning, I'm not trying to be weird, but it's in the text, and we've got to go here, we've got to deal with it, okay? And I'm, I'm not here to predict when Jesus is coming back. I believe all of Scripture points to the fact that we should just be ready, in season and out of season. It was always frustrating to me that the one time the teacher would look over at me, I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do. Anybody amen that? He's going to come when we're not anticipating it. Okay? And so, and so I'm not going to write a book, although we could probably build our building debt-free if I would, predicting that. I don't believe Scripture does that. Okay? So we're not trying to get weird this morning, but we're trying to address the heart of each and every one of us at what is the heart of these questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's coming? What's coming? What's coming? And Jesus, in responding to this, and we're going to get, we're going to, get to the heart of this, but I just, I just want to address this real quickly, and we'll come back to it. Okay? Jesus responding with a question, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? 
I mean, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, and, and his, his question's cut and dry. What must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus responds with the commandments. Don't, don't kill anybody, right? Don't, don't, don't covet, don't defraud, don't, don't do all the, right? All, honor your father and mother, the, the, the commandment with the promise. He responds, and, and the rich young ruler's like, yeah, I've got that. I've done those. I've done those. One thing you lack. But the, but the heart of what Jesus was getting at is, why do you call me good? Because for a Jew in this time to look at a rabbi and say, good teacher, why? Because no one was good in this time except God. That's huge for us. That is huge for us. We need to be reminded of that. We need to remember that. And so what Jesus is getting at here is the rich young ruler's heart. Because if you look at me and say, good teacher, based on what you've heard, based on what you've seen over these last months as I've begun my ministry and now I'm headed to the cross, if you can call me good, then something is shifting in your heart, yet it wasn't enough. Because he goes away sad. Because Jesus said, go, sell everything. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor. The good must not have been good enough. And so the rich young ruler, the question is, what must I do? Better, whom must I trust to inherit eternal life? So let's run through the outline. You ready? I lost a few more. Okay. The first thing I want to point out to you is it's easier than you think. It's easier than you think. We psych ourselves out. Right? It's easier than you think. Jesus was continuing his journey towards Jerusalem, towards crucifixion. We're, we're continuing that journey. Lent has started. Jesus is on his way. He's engaging the disciples in teaching about what it is to be a true disciple and what's ahead. And these are struggling students. Anybody identify? These are struggling students who can't grasp what he's saying, almost like a math problem with letters. Okay? And so, and so these students, they can't grasp what he's saying. Jesus has told them that those who enter the kingdom of God must be like a little child. Verses 13 through 16 of chapter 10, go check it out. All must come to Jesus with nothing in total dependence on him. Jesus isn't picking on people and saying, listen, listen, you just can't bring anything. He's not doing that to pick on people. He's not doing that to be mean. He wants people to come in total, everybody say total, dependence on him. A total dependence on Him. When is the last time we have lived as if we have total dependence on Jesus? And that's the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. This is the truth of what Jesus is getting at here. Total dependence on Him. Because no one can earn the kingdom. You can't earn it. No one can earn the kingdom. The requirement is the same for all. It's the same for me. It's the same for you. The requirement is the same. Simple, childlike reliance on Jesus. Simple, childlike reliance on Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. We were just at Mickey Mouse's house, and, and, and um, uh, Ezra's six... And, and he was at the height where he could ride most things, okay? Um, he didn't like lines. Um, and, and, and so as we, were, as we were in line for a few of the rides, specifically um, Thunder Mountain. Anybody ever been on Thunder Mountain? Awesome roller coaster. Awesome roller coaster. Uh, Space Mountain, he, we were on that one too. This happened there as well. Ezra would turn around to me at different, at different times in, in different lines and just ask this simple question. Is this safe? <laughs> Buddy, daddy's going on it. No, is it safe? And as long as I would look back at him and say, yeah, buddy, it's safe. He's all in. As nervous as he might have been, he was all in. Now, my 13-year-old looks at me 
And she doesn't even ask the question anymore because she knows that my definition of safe is different than her definition of safe. <laughs> and so I don't even try. And so go back to that six-year-old, that childlike reliance, that childlike dependence, trust, and daddy. Is this safe? Is this good? Is this pure? Is this right? And instead of looking around, instead of joining groups and, and, and message boards and all of those things and asking, and asking tons of other people those questions, maybe our attention and childlike faith ought to turn to Father in heaven and say, hey, is this safe? Is this pure? Is this good? Is this right? Is this the time? Is this the time? It's that simple. And in that, what we do is we go to the right person. Look back at verse 17. He was setting out on his journey. A man knelt before him and said and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. To the right person. Man ran up to Jesus. Let's back up a little bit. This man had great wealth, many possessions. Luke 18 calls him a ruler. Matthew 19, cross-referencing this story, says that he's young. Thus we call him the rich young ruler. When you piece the, when you piece the stories together in different, uh, in, in different um, 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 manuscripts, different, different gospels, different recordings... There we go. Not the exact word, but that'll do. Different recordings of the text, different recordings of the story. We put it together, we get the rich young ruler. He was a man of power and influence. Evidently, he had heard Jesus teach and he was impressed. He was impressed with what he had heard. He didn't walk to Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He was eager to get to Jesus because he was setting out on a journey. Jesus was setting out on a journey, and he may not have another opportunity to talk with this man whose teachings were unlike any he had ever heard. And with remarkable respect, he knelt down. He bowed before him. He saw Jesus as a distinguished rabbi and paid him honor reserved for the great teachers of the law. He certainly had come in the right way with humility and to the right person, Jesus. And Jesus will readily identify with the rich young ruler. After all, he was about 30 years of age himself, and he too was rich, far richer than this man could possibly imagine. As the Son of God, Jesus had lived for all eternity in the glory, wealth, love, and sweet fellowship of his Father. And what he was about to ask this man to do was not unfamiliar to him. He had already left it all behind, Paul said it perfectly in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Tim Keller puts it this way in the King's Cross. And Jesus would say, I'm going into a poverty deeper than anyone has ever known. I'm giving it all away. Why? For you. For you. Now, Keller continues, get ready. I'm going to ask you to give away everything to follow me. If I give away my big all to get you, can you give away your little all to follow me? This is huge. I deeply appreciate Keller saying this. I won't ask you to do anything I haven't already done from the perspective of Jesus. I'm the ultimate rich young ruler who has given away the ultimate wealth to get you. Now you need to give away yours to get me. Jesus is the right person to go to with the question. Which leads us to our next point, asking the right questions. The rich young ruler, awed by Jesus, had an extremely important question to ask him. Well, the question is one of the most significant in the whole Bible and for all of humanity, isn't it? How do I get eternal life? 
How do I get eternal life? In the Bible, the gift of the life of God is called eternal life. Entering the kingdom of God, having treasure in heaven and enjoying, enjoying the age to come. It is the life of God and life with God. Life with God. His question, though by no means a bad one, implies that he believes eternal life is something that you must work for. Something that you must work for. What must I do, the rich young ruler asks, to inherit eternal life? He's concerned with doing. He's concerned with what he's got to do to earn this, to work for this. And all religions of the world can be categorized under do or done. Under do or done. And this morning, I come to you saved. I come to you saved by what, no, uh, I'm, excuse me, excuse me. I come to, I, I'm saved by what I do or by what another has done. And I come to you this morning saved by what someone has done on my behalf. Eternal life is not achieved. It's a received gift based on what Jesus has done for us. So the young ruler must have both had a change of theology and a change of heart if he is to inherit eternal life. And so then he gets to the right answers. 18 through 21, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So on and so on. He said to him, Yeah, teacher, I've kept these from my youth. I've kept these from my youth. And so Jesus answers the young ruler's question with a question. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Jesus does not return the young man's flattering greeting as might have been expected. Jesus puts the focus on the issue where it must be. The Father, God. The young man's starting point was wrong because his starting point was himself. What must I do? The rich young ruler was no doubt a good man. By the standards of his day, he liked blue pig. <laughs> he, he more than likely went to temple. He more than likely went to, I mean, he was of good reputation. All of, the, all of the right things. He saw in Jesus another good man whose insight into spiritual matters could perhaps solve some of the lingering questions that had plagued his soul. And Jesus forced him to look to God the Father for any hope of genuine goodness and eternal life. Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? And I want you to notice Jesus doesn't wait for a response. He continues, you know the commandments. Jesus cites the last six commandments which address our human relationships with one another. And the young man responds, Teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. I've been a good boy. And the young man conducted his life according to the law of God. He had honored it and obeyed all of it. And in an eternal sense, what he said was probably true. Like the Apostle Paul, he was faultless with respect to the outward demands of the law as taught by the religious teachers in Israel. From his bar mitzvah to this day, he had worked for God's approval and his record was spotless. Spotless. Verse 21. I want you to see this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him. There was a sincerity and an earnestness about this young man that moved the heart of Jesus. Moved the heart of Jesus. His divine heart of love... His divine heart of love reached out because this man made in his image was so very near to the kingdom. But then Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor. The call to discipleship that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see, the call to discipleship is a call to radical trust. Is it safe? 
radical trust and commitment to Jesus. And, and, and I want to add something here this morning and his authority. A radical trust and commitment to Jesus and his authority. Jesus, challenged, Jesus challenges all of us to put away anything that's an obstacle to our following him. You cannot love your wealth supremely and love Jesus supremely. You can't do it. You can't do it. And then lastly, before we move on to the second thing, give the right response. Verse 22 records the tragic end of their encounter. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Stunned, a cloud of gloom and sorrow moved in. He went away grieving. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. He had many possessions. His gold would remain his God. Jesus' difficult demand was met with a no. All, all, all of the way, I just, I just finished a novel this week. I got home one night and was, was thinking, I'm just going to read a little bit. And, 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 and I'm like chapter 58, 59 in this thing. I, I've, it's built up for me all the way. And, and something big is about to happen and I can just see it. And it's coming and I couldn't wait to celebrate it in this book. And he died. And as I was reading this, trying to fall asleep, I am now wide awake and angry at the author wanting to write a letter saying you missed a huge opportunity for this to be a feel-good story in a best-selling movie. It's like the movie Everest. Everybody died. I was thinking my kids need to read this. My wife needs to read Everybody needs to read this thing. And now nobody needs to read it. It's terrible. There's a little bit of a redeeming quality at the end. But not enough. And here we see Jesus' response. Go. Sell everything. Give it to the poor. And then come. Follow me. And you're thinking without reading along, without having heard this story in Sunday school on the felt board all played out. If you're just reading it for the first time, you're thinking, yeah, that's the next step. And you're expecting to go and to read that. And for him to make the turn and to make the shift and to make God his God and not gold his God any longer. But he walks away depressed, sorrowful. And you're like, that's not how this story is supposed to end. But yet, how many of us would fall into that category? where we've got too strong of a hold on our stuff, where we've got too strong of a hold on that relationship with that God complex, with that Savior complex. We've got too strong of a hold on those kids who are our Savior. And we come to church as a token to try to fool ourselves into thinking, no, 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 no way do I worship my kids. Come on. Right? No way do I worship my marriage. No way are they the God replacement. No way is this person that I'm dating. They're great. They point me back to Jesus. No way. No way. No way is that church experience. No way is this way that I'm serving, handcuffing how I see God. No way. No way. No way. So then we get to the part of the story where the rich young ruler leaves and now the disciples are trying to figure out what just happened. And we get to the portion of the story where we see when it comes to inheriting eternal life, it's harder than we think. It's harder than we think. I mean, the rich young ruler had come to the right person, Jesus. He'd asked the right question. How do I inherit eternal life? Because even in his performance work mentality, Jesus, Jesus responded with a great, with, with a great response and, and set him up, right? He'd received the right answer, honor God, follow Jesus in complete trust like a little child. And sadly, he didn't respond correctly. Walked away from the only true source of eternal life. 
Again, Keller says, when Jesus called this young man to give up his money, the man started to grieve. Because money was for him what the Father was for Jesus, the center of his identity. To lose his money would have been to lose himself. To lose his money would have been to lose himself. One thing can cost us salvation. Jesus says, look at verses 23 through 25. Jesus looked around, said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel, humps and all, hump day. That's all I think about. That's all I've thought about all week. And I thought, Travis, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And there it is. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's harder than we think. Jesus told his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to, to, to enter the kingdom? Jesus is not condemning wealth. Hear, hear this again. Hear this again. Jesus is not condemning wealth and commending poverty. The point is wealth breeds confidence in oneself. I did this. I built this. Even when they did nothing and they just inherited, I did this. I built this. I've got this. I've got to hold on to this. Wealth brings confidence in one's self and has an addictive quality. Doesn't it? It becomes life's priority and the things of God go by the wayside. The disciples couldn't believe their ears. So Jesus said it again. How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus prefaced his statement with a term of tenderness, children. And then boom, right? Tender and then boom, right? Children, the camel was one of the largest animals found in that part of the world. The thought of trying to squeeze it through the eye of a needle would strike his disciples, no doubt, is funny. Because it's impossible. I guess salvation is harder than we thought, they said. And it takes only one thing, like wealth, to keep us out of the, God, out of the kingdom of heaven. They did not see that coming. And once again, just like last week, Jesus flips the value system of the world on its head. Second thing, only God can provide salvation. Look at verses 26 through 27. It's, it's, it's easy to believe this. It's easy to say this. But what we've got to see it, we've got to remind it. Because the way that we leave might, and the way that we live might preach differently. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at him and said, With man, it's impossible. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. And can we, can we just take a moment and say, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I mean, I think, I think, I think back. I, I think back over the, the impossible. The impossible. I mean, I mean, I mean let's not even, let's not even think about Let's not even think about uh, um, five, six years ago. Let's just, let's just think since 2018 when Summit Church became Summit Church. We've seen God do the impossible. And how quickly we forget. How quickly we make it about so many dumb things. When are we going to wrap our lives around the fact this thing ain't about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. This is about the fact that we're having a conversation about eternal life today and there's probably people sitting in this room that aren't going there with us. And that ought to bother you. That ought, to, that ought to drive you to send an email. Way longer than the mask email. Way longer. Way longer than the music song selection email. Way longer than the portable chair. Way longer 
Do you hear yourself? I'm not angry. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Because how quickly we have lost focus and we're supposed to be fighting the enemy together here for the purpose of eternity, not for the purpose of your feelings. Only God can provide you salvation, okay? Pastor got mad. <laughs> Lastly, because I want to get to this. I want to get to this. I'm 28 through 31. It's better than you think. When it comes to eternity, easier than you think, harder than you think, schizophrenic, then Jesus gets to the point. Easy, hard, relative. It's better. It's better than you think. It's better than you think. And this is the whole point of honing in on this text because I, I don't know. I just want you to sit here for a moment. And think about the best paradise ever. Think back to that best worship experience you've ever had. Last Sunday rivals it for me. I gotta tell you, there was a spirit in the room. It was awesome. Just loved it. All right, think back. And then think about heaven, and it's gonna be a million times better than what you just thought about. That experience that you just thought about. Oh man, like I can't wait. It's better than you think. Look at verses 28 through 31. Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you, Jesus, and now you're saying all these things and we don't get it. And, and Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, per with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last. Let's talk about this. Let's unpack this for just a moment. Let's pray. Let's sing and let's go live it. Okay. We could suspect that the disciples would have a lot of questions here. They needed to think this over. I mean, Jesus had brought a whole camel and the eye of a needle into the situation, and they had to process. Right? They had to process. They had some things that they had to think about. They had some discussions to have. There was probably a vote on Jesus' sanity. All these things. Right? But what Jesus is getting out here, two things. Number one, leave a little and get a lot. Peter, the ever-ready spokesperson for the disciples. We've got those people in our church, right? The ever-ready spokesperson. I, I'll speak. Picks up on the words of Jesus and says, Look, Jesus, hello, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus affirms that whatever you might lose or give up in this present age or life for Jesus and the gospel, you will not fail to receive what a promise a hundred times as much now at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. The promises of God are there. They're true. They're certain. They're trustworthy. The things Jesus notes, we may have to give up are precious things. I recognize that. Home. Brothers, sisters. Eh. Mother, father. Children, lands. It costs to follow Jesus. It costs to follow Jesus. It costs. It costs more than a couple hours on Sunday morning. It costs to follow Jesus. Your value system shifts. Your value system shifts. Dave, do I tell it? No, no. Okay, no, we're not going there. Okay. However, the blessings far outweigh the losses. In God's kingdom, the benefits and blessings are simply too great to imagine. They are. I'll tell you that story sometime. Leave you in suspense. Leave you coming back. Okay. One surprising blessing that Jesus points out here, 
buckle your seatbelt, is persecutions. The inclusion here of persecutions as a blessing in the kingdom of heaven and thinking about this strikes a sobering note of realism for the person who would follow Jesus. To be a member of the kingdom of God means to share in all that is his, which includes his suffering. So leave a little, get a lot. Secondly, last thing, be last and come in first. Honesty, I struggle with this one. Anytime there's a line, I'm walking up to it because I can see it before any of (laughs) y'all. And I'm measuring and I'm thinking, okay, which one's moving faster? Which one's moving faster? I want to be in the fastest line. This afternoon, there's going to be a sold-out plate in here, the last of three at 2 p.m. My, two of my kids are in it. They're saying it's going to be sold out. Guess who's going to have a seat? This guy. I'm not above throwing elbows in lines. I'm not above cutting some corners. I like being first. I like it, right? I like it. And so when we see this here in the text, be last, come in first, verse 31, another hinge verse connecting and contrasting the rich young ruler with the servant of the Lord Jesus. And again, we see the value system of this present age turned upside down on top of his head. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Yep, be. It's one of those sayings that Jesus probably repeated numerous occasions. We see it all through the Gospels. And in Christ's kingdom, there's a grand reversal of every earthly standard of position, rank, importance. God does not evaluate things the same way that we do. God does not evaluate things in the same way that fallen humanity does. As citizens of his kingdom, his children should think more like him than the world. One more Keller quote, is that okay? Tim Keller writes, To the general public, the rich young ruler stood first and the poor disciples stood last. But God saw things from the perspective of eternity. And the first become last while the last become first. Those who are first in their own eyes will be last in God's eyes. But those who are last in their own eyes will be rewarded as first. What an encouragement for true disciples. The heart of the gospel, Keller continues, is all about giving up power. Pouring out resources and serving. The center of Christianity is always migrating away from power and wealth. The heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news of Jesus, is all about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving. Jesus said to the rich young ruler this, I want you to imagine life without money. All you've got is me. Am I really enough? Do you truly believe that the person who has Jesus plus nothing actually has everything? That's the question that Jesus puts before this rich young ruler. And it's the same question he puts before us. How do you respond? The worship team is going to come this morning. I want you to imagine that life. I want you to imagine that life without money. As hard as it is, I want you to imagine that life without the person next to you.
want you to imagine that life without that job that you're going to tomorrow. I want you to imagine it. And imagine that all of it was stripped away. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? And here's the promise. And I've, I've, I've been on this journey. I'm not, I'm not 100% there yet. I'm with you in this. But here's the beauty of the way this works. Is that when you get there, when you get to the place where Jesus is enough, and you're not relying on that person next to you, you're not relying on that job, you're not relying on those kids for your well-being and your emotional health and stability, you're a better parent. You're a better husband. You're a better daddy. You're a better son, daughter, employee, church member, citizen, pastor. You fill in the blank. Who am I is probably the biggest question that we have to ask ourselves and answer for ourselves. And if we're trying to answer it out of who Jesus says that we are and out of Him being enough in our lives, we are doing it wrong. And we will be let down. We will be disappointed. We will be sent away sorrowful. Is He enough for you alone? God, my prayer today is that that would be the case for us. Examine our hearts. Show us the areas that we've replaced you. Show us the heart of our worship. Help us to step back and to see what it is that we're placing in front of you. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. You are enough. In Jesus' name, amen.